the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you today. we got a lot to cover. A couple of great guests coming up. Uh, we'll, I'll tell you about them in a moment. And don't forget, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. And um, there you'll find all these interviews we do, all the segments we do, all posted over there in standalone links. And also you can sign up for the daily email. It's the daily wink. What you need to know, what you need to know, and what the email goes in your email box at 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time. And you'll get in that email a few key articles to read, a few key issues to notice, and what you need to know for the day. It'll start your day off right Monday through Friday. Each uh, weekday morning, I send that to you, the Daily Wink. I don't sell or rent or lease or borrow or anything your email address. I just use it to send you that email. So go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there. Okay, uh, welcome again to the Pro Ed Martin's Pro America Report. Uh, let's let me tell you today what you need to know. The opening segment of the show is what you need to know. The daily wink. It's right here. You'll get some more in the in your inbox. But here's the thing. I want to give you more examples of the power of the great narrative machine, the narrative machine that is dominating American life right now. And the narrative machine is comprised of three parts. And as I walk you through these three parts, I will then give you the examples of what we're seeing. And remember, the goal of the narrative machine is to feed you and me a narrative that we otherwise wouldn't, I don't know, accept or believe or notice. And in fact, one of the tricks is to feed us the narrative uh, that they want so that we don't notice other things that are probably more important. So let's talk about the, the parts to this grand effort are big tech and big tech uses neuroscience in, in real high speed ways. They have tested and perfected the use of neuroscience to try to change what you see and what you uh, know and therefore what you do. So when you're on Facebook and you're, you're clicking thumbs up or you're on uh, tw Twitter and you're doing likes or any of the things, sharing, you're, you're using, they're using neuroscience and they've done this. Studies have shown they're getting people and they're, they're making clear to you what you get to see, what you therefore get to know, and therefore what you do. That's big tech. Okay. Big tech has an angle. Big tech has an angle. They have, a, they have an interest in promoting themselves and making money. That's true. But also they're left of center. The next one is big media, big media, which is really cable news, but also mainstream, um, uh, main, uh, main regular TV, too. But big media, which is radio and TV, they're just in the brainwashing business. They're using the video, you know, CNN, picture CNN, which I know best. They're using video and announcers and commentators to brainwash American, the American people to believe something. And finally, the last part of the narrative machine is very powerful right now is government, big government. And since it's controlled dominantly, at least at the federal level, by the Democrats, it's being used shamelessly. So there's a quick example. Uh, a quick example of the narrative machine was the Russia hoax. Russia, Russia, Russia. Big tech was uh, making sure to promote the issue and the excitement and the agitation and the dopamine hits. 
you know, and then, of course, big media wanted to brainwash half the country. And then we had big government in the form of the Mueller report, 50 million plus dollars digging in. And the truth, if you look closely, is the Russians were not a factor in the 2016 election, but a third or more of the country, probably 50 percent, believes they were. That's the narrative machine at work. Another example of the narrative machine is the uh, January 6th uh, misconduct, you know, a protest that some people got out of hand and the mainstream, excuse me, the narrative machine puts out the message. Okay, big tech says, oh, we're going to silence anyone who is in any any part of this because we say it was really bad violence and they did it. And big media is brainwashing with no insurrection, murder, insurrection, murder, armed rebellion. And then big government, the FBI says it's the number one priority to dig into white supremacy. That's another part of the narrative on this and white supremacy and domestic violence. Well, hold on. What's actually happening around us? Another, you know, narrative machine, another example in the last uh, 48 hours, the narrative machine overdrive on the guy who shot up and killed people in Colorado, initially identified as a white male and, and rejoicing almost amongst the left in, in, in the media saying things like, oh, it's another white male, probably a Trump supporter, all that. Turns out it was a it was an Islamic um, American. I think he's American citizen, Im- immigrant from Syria who had some jihadist tendencies and probably mental illness, which is a pretty common denominator in terms of mental illness and these kinds of things. But the point is, the narrative machine was in overdrive now. I want to speed this up because I want to bring this to uh, what happened with Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota. The governor of South Dakota has been trapped in the narrative machine. The narrative machine, big tech, big government, excuse me, big tech, big media and big government says transgenderism is something we should all be really worried about. We should protect that there's these people that want to, there are boys that want to play girl sports. We should we should protect them. They have rights and all. So that's the narrative. I mean, you watch the TV now, you see more transgender advocacy, you see more advocacy in the direction of the LGBTQ stuff than anything else. Big government, you've got the government saying, Joe Biden saying he won't enforce the, the rules. He wants to make it the rules that say that women, women's sports should not allow these boys who think they're girls to play. Christy Nome got trapped in the narrative machine because what goes along with narrative machine is big tech, big media. And then, as I said, government. But what I really should have said was big interests, because a lot of times it's the corporations that are playing that role of the heavy. In this case, Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, who vetoed a bill. I think she sort of um, didn't quite. It's not quite fair to say it was a full veto. She sent it back to be revised, but it's unlikely that that will work. Uh, So effectively, it was a veto. She didn't sign it. And the reason she gave is because, well, there was going to be lawsuits, nonsense. What she really should have said, if she was honest, was a bunch of the corporate interests, big corporate interests, were saying that they would you know, be boycotting South Dakota and, more importantly, not supporting me, Governor Nome. Therefore, I have to, to, uh, to veto this. And I guess what I want to say on this one is the narrative machine, if you think about it, you say to yourself, how is it? That the number one of the highest, you know, uh, 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 one of the issues that gets the highest, the most amount of attention is transgender uh, girls, uh, boys playing in uh, transgender boys who say they're girls playing uh, in, in girls sports. How is that the top issue? How many people does that impact? Why is this a priority? You know, we got a million, million, million other issues that are bigger, yet the narrative machine wants us there. Why? Why? Back to the roots of this. Big tech wants agitation. Right. Dopamine hits, shares, likes, cacophony, fighting back and forth. 
Big media wants the brainwashing, and they want to agitate so you return. And that includes Fox News, by the way. CNN, they agitate, 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 look at this, and then you return. And government wants a problem they can solve, in my opinion. They like to solve problems. They like to make a crisis and solve it. And in this case, same thing with the corporations. But the cancel, the culture of this, of this nation right now is being driven by the narrative machine. And it's not pro-family. It's not pro-life. It's not particularly pleasant. It's kind of an unpleasant. You know, if you had to say, uh, what is this all, what is it like? To live in this time, it's kind of it's kind of unpleasant, right? It's not very fun. The discussions aren't fun. In other words, the narrative machine is putting us into a very negative place. It's one of the reasons that I talk about it so often because you have to resist the narrative machine and even resist the uh, discussion. I don't even want to talk about gun control debates. That's a loser debate, meaning it's not a meaningful debate. It's not a serious thing. Instead, let's talk about, you know, what, what are we doing about opioid addiction? What are we doing about opioid death? What are we doing about the problems of jobs for, you know, people between 22 and 32 have really bleak job prospects in terms of the future? What are we doing about, uh, I, did a, I did a periscope on this earlier, student debt. Student debt is a, is a problem, a burden placed on students by unscrupulous universities and big government that, that back the loans. And everybody's getting rich, big government's getting rich, big universities, universities are getting rich, and the people are suffering, and it's a true problem. And it's a true problem. There's no denying the idea that, that a, a young 20-year-old, uh, 23-year-old woman or man has $100,000 in debt. Their life has changed. They won't marry. They won't have kids on the same timeline because they're so worried about it. But the narrative machine, we need to get to the bottom. Instead of focusing on transgenderism and putting uh, Christy Nome in a terrible position because that's the highlight. We ought to be talking about real issues that affect real people, or we, or we, we the people, and what you need to know right now is we need to fight our way through the narrative machine and talk about the things we believe are at the center of what's happening. For example, the number one thing in this country right now, in my opinion, is getting kids back to school. However we got to do it, getting kids back to in-person school is as big a priority as we, I think it can be. So that's what you need to know today. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. we got a lot. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. It's time to talk with our old friend John Schlafly. John Schlafly, of course, is one half of the writing combination that writes the Schlafly Report. Uh, John and his brother Andy. Andy's a Harvard-educated uh, lawyer. John Schlafly is a uh, is an attorney himself with advanced degrees in law, and the two of them have to combine their brain and writing power to do what the late Phyllis Schlafly did for decades by herself, which is write a weekly column. It appears over at townhall.com as well as archived at phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, John, before we get to that let me ask you a question that an observation we talked about mentioned the late phyllis schlafly we're watching um one party in power uh the presidency is in the democrat hands obviously uh, pelosi is the speaker democrat and then whatever you do with the senate but you know john the, the proposals that are being floated uh hr1 which would dr- dramatically federalize elections um the spending that's occurring some of the other things um it, it feels more um, it feels more extreme. Is it more extreme, or is it sort of just that that's how everything feels in the modern moment? No, I think you're right, Ed, and it's partly partly because the center of gravity of the Democratic Party is moved left. I mean, there were hmm. many people noticed that before the election, 
and after the election, it's a complete progressive agenda. And uh, it's been said that Bernie Sanders had more had more to do with the 1.9 trillion so-called stimulus or COVID bill, which was mostly about progressive, uh, you know, agenda items, than anyone else. And uh, hmm. so now we're looking at, you know, HR one, which would destroy our elections forever. We're statehood for District of Columbia. You know, removing the deadline for the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, new types of gun control, and uh, of course, uh, eradicating the differences between male and female throughout federal law. I mean, the list just goes on. And those are not those are not things that enjoy wide public support. They they are niche issues for the progressive movement, and yet somehow they're being passed by the Pelosi House. And they're now uh, lining up at the doorway of the evenly split United States Senate. Yeah. Um, we're talking with John Schlafly. And, John, uh, on that note, you, you and I last week or 10 days ago were with General Mike Flynn. And General Flynn, if you hear him give a speech in certain contexts, he'll say he was a lifelong Democrat. His family's from Rhode Island, nine children in his family, his mom and dad. They were all Democrats because you could be a pro-life Democrat. You could be a you could be a um, on, on a whole series of issues. You could be I don't know what you could now call it, a, a moderate Democrat. I mean, a, 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 a Governor Casey of Pennsylvania Democrat. That's all gone and uh, it's all gone and the question i have is is um you know why isn't that sort of noticed i i mean i think i know that the media won't say anything because they can't say anything that's bad for for uh for uh you know the democrat party but you know they're not even not even describing it's just factual now that the democrat party is even 25 years ago there were uh, uh, dozens of national democrats who would have been self-described as pro-life and self-described as conservative it's not even acceptable but it's not described by anybody well, that's certainly true, uh, Ed, and it's perhaps um, symbolized by the fact that the progressives went out and uh, defeated a Democratic member of Congress, Dan Lipinski from Chicago, who was pro-life. Mm -hmm. But you know, yeah. he was a Democrat on most other issues, and but they couldn't tolerate that. They couldn't stand it. And they came within a mm -hmm. year of defeating him two years ago, and they finally got nailed him more, more recently. And uh, so, but on the other side of the coin, you see people who are lifelong Democrats or grew up as Democrats are now supporting Trump. And let's take uh, Georgia, for example, where we got right. That's what I was going to say. And Herschel yeah. Walker, both of which we named in mm -hmm. our column, are now emerging as potential or likely candidates for office in Georgia. And great for them. I, I mean, yeah. they're welcome. Well, and and in, Vernon in, jo in, Vernon in, Jones in himself in the Republican. Sorry, part. go ahead. Yeah, well, Vernon Jones is, is himself. He was a Democrat until um, I think I think technically, John, did he uh, change parties on January sixth? I mean, again, you know, <laughs> you and I were there when there was a speech at the Ellipse, and President Trump spoke, of course. But before that, Vernon Jones spoke, and he said, I "Was a Democrat my whole life, African American." He said, "I'm becoming a Republican. I'm coming home to the party." I, 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 back to your column now, John. Though um, you're you're writing the column again, John Schlafly and Andy Schlafly, right over townhall.com. Full steam ahead for the Trump train. I, I, before we get to the more specifics do you think even though the numbers looked nationally 74 million votes for trump uh whatever number 80 million for biden if you believe them but within that those coalitions 
aren't you seeing a bunch of General Mike Flynn's and and Vernon Jones and others who are, you know, by tradition Democrats and they're they're coming home to the Republican Party? And and then the question I have is, does does the next generation of Republicans sort of retain what the uh, country club Republicans and the party is 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 a bigger majority party? What's your thoughts? Well, if by next generation you mean uh, after Trump is gone, that remains to be seen. But Trump is not gone, right. and uh, Trump is still, you know, the big guy, to, uh, to right. use an expression that was applied to Joe Biden. But uh, he's the big guy in the Republican Party, and I think that, um, you know, can- successful candidates will have to uh, have... Trump's favor and to portray themselves as Trump-style people. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's where the party is. And that includes well, the millions of people who who came from the Democrats or, maybe, or still are Democrats and yet came because right. of Trump. Right, we're talking with John Schlafly, and, and John, uh, the col- inside the column you mentioned the, the comment that the what I thought was again the narrative that the racial narrative machine went into full effect and tried to say Asian Americans were targeted dramatically in America. What what they what you point out in the column, and I think it's very important, is um, traditionally, and by that I mean over the last three decades, Asian Americans by very high percentages voted Democrat for lots of reasons. I'm not sure I understand them all, but Trump really did change that, and they were supposed to vote for Hillary by huge numbers. I'm talking. To when you, and again, we're not. I, I'm a conservative. I don't hyphenate Americans as well as the de- Democrats and the left do. But but the point here is trying to recover, recapture some of those Asian American voters that say, "Hey, don't judge me on the uh, on the the uh, my hyphen. Judge me on my success because I want to build a business and send my kids to the best schools and all that." I I think that's part of what you're seeing on this the, the Asian uh, narratives to try to try to put. Put people, the Asian American community, in a, in a place that they distrust the uh, Republican Party or Democrats or conservatives in general. Well, we've—I uh, mean, the nation has witnessed, unfortunately, the worst excesses of the whole racial uh, movement in regard to—I mean, everything—you know, everything's interpreted in racial lens uh, until we got to the Colorado shooting, and of course, the narrative changed. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, to combine all. You know, now they're saying Asian and Pacific Islander, you know, a vast array of national groups that never had any connection with each other, and to lump them all together uh, as if they were had one interest group is just complete nonsense. Uh, right. People all the way from Korea to China to Thailand to India and Pakistan to, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Polynesian and Melanesian islands, I mean... These are vastly different types of people. They don't have the same political views and uh, or, or place in America, but uh, it's just, it really is evil the way the liberals are trying to pigeonhole uh, all of these groups and to set them against the historic uh, white European uh, group that founded this country, uh, as mm-hmm. if, you know, they're all oppressed people. That's just nonsense. The Asians are not yeah. oppressed people. They are successful right. people, and they're well welcomed, uh, provided they, you know, they speak English and they want to become Americans like everyone else. 
Right. Well, and also I just look back at the data, you know, in, in 20, they, they were perplexed by it in 2016 when, you know, uh, Donald Trump did not win the Asian American vote across the country, but he did much better than Romney did. And and again, the same thing happened in 2020. And the answer, I think, is that, you know, as you said, they're not, they don't vote as a group and they're looking up saying who's hardworking, who's doing, uh, you know, who's, who's, who fits what I want to do, which is build my life and build my business, keep government out of my, uh, out of my, my uh, business. Uh, John, one last question. Uh, a couple, last couple of weeks, we've had Abe Lincoln um, author John Cribb on the show. Uh, he wrote a book called Old Abe. And then recently, Al Regnery, the uh, founder of Rep- Republic Book Publishers, um, about that book. They published that book. And it feels like they're targeting Abe Lincoln. And and I got to think it's because, like Asian Americans, Asian Americans are the example of coming to America, not wanting to be victims, and just making life better for themselves. And America works great for that. And uh, Abe Lincoln is the one, when someone says, oh, you're, you must be a racist, you're a Republican, say, a whole party was started on the guy that wasn't, was was actually freeing the slaves when the other party wasn't. Are, are you, um, do you worry that they're canceling Abe Lincoln? Uh, well... Of course, it's true, Ed, that nobody, you know, no Americans of the 19th century, in fact, almost no Americans of the 20th century, uh, qualify under the regime that is being uh, propagated today, the critical race theory. And it's not just Abe Lincoln, but Franklin Roosevelt, Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, uh, none, none of these people, or, you know, every one of them has said or done things which would be get them canceled today. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, because <laughs> I think yeah. the, the people want to cancel our past. You know, they want to say America was a bad country, that our that our very constitution was wrong. Because that's what's behind all this talk we hear about the filibuster. The filibuster just right. like the United States Senate. And the Constitution established the United States Senate with two votes for every state, regardless of its population. And, you know, we're now told that that's undemocratic. Well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's our system. That is the system that the of our government gave us. And if you don't... If you don't support that, then you don't support our Constitution. You want to throw everything out and start all over again. So, obviously, we're not for that. Yeah. All right, John Schlafly, as always, a very interesting conversation. You can read his column. He and Andy Schlafly's column is over at townhall.com, our sister site. Full steam ahead for the Trump train, March 23rd edition, also archived over at phyllisschlafly.com. Thank you, John. We appreciate it, and we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here with our friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker, New York Times bestselling author and author of many books and uh, a professor now at Defiance College in Ohio, also recently certified by Oxford University. I think it was Oxford as an archaeologist. I don't know. It's, 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 he wears a fedora like Indiana Jones now. And uh, he joins us uh, from Ohio to talk about things, especially he was, of course, uh, as our listeners that know, he's a frequent guest and he was stationed in Asia with the Wall Street Journal as a journalist, so he's always helpful on understanding what's going on. So welcome, Dr. Decker. How are you, sir? Uh, Not bad. You know, I think spring is finally sprung, so, you know, up in these northern climates, that's, that's a pretty big change. 
exciting exciting oh, change good. in the season. <laughs> sounds sounds like it. All right, I, what I want to ask you is, I saw some coverage. Of course, we've seen um, the Chinese, uh, uh, the Ch- communist Chinese sent over a couple dudes and they met with uh, our secretary of state and our national security advisor. That seemed to be an abject disaster all around. Um, you know, we got lectured and told our country wasn't good enough and then we did nothing. And But I, I want to ask you this question. At this point, um, the communist regime in China, why won't they take Taiwan? Because... The, it's like Hong Kong. At a certain point, who's going to are we going to fight a war over Taiwan? Is that is that, are we obligated to do that? And and I just heard in the news some some talk out of China about this. What's the, what's the status of Taiwan? And I'm not by the way, I'm not advocating. I, I love Taiwan. I love the Taiwanese people. I don't think they should be taken over. But why won't they be? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a very dangerous position for Taiwan right now, especially the Biden administration and Hunter getting all this dirty Chinese money. Um, you know, the Chinese might feel tempted to uh, to do something just because they they might feel confident that the Biden administration, um, their inclination won't be to defend Taiwan. The, the, the main re- there are two main reasons that China hasn't made a run on Taiwan already. One, a backdrop to all of this is China perfectly does intend at one time to take Taiwan back. So they're just kind of biding their time, waiting for the right opportunity. So the question um, we have to ask is, okay, does the, the the situation on the ground, especially the situation on the ground in Washington, present what Beijing might interpret as being the, the right opportunity? And that's what I think is dangerous about right now. The reason they haven't taken it before that, before, before now, is two things. One, they weren't sure of a U.S. administration if they would go to war over Taiwan, especially if you have Republican presidents who are very hawkish, say like George W. Nobody wanted to do anything after W. sent an army to uh, Iraq because like, yeah, right. this guy's crazy. He might start a war anywhere. Don't don't trust. Don't tempt that guy. <laughs> so that, that's, right, like, that's right. one thing, not knowing how the mm-hmm. U.S. will react. The second thing, which is ongoing and doesn't change, is China knows just because of the defenses that Taiwan has in place to take Taiwan, they'd almost have to level it. You know, China can oh, take it. I see. more powerful than Taiwan. But what you have left might be um, kind of like Okinawa at the end of World War II. Great. You just you just took over a moonscape that's been bombed to oblivion. Right. So so that's the other thing. That, and what China's been playing is this long game thinking maybe eventually there are a lot more business connections between the mainland and Taiwan, thinking maybe the Taiwanese will just eventually throw in the towel. But I see how hard how hard Beijing's come down on high, on Hong Kong, taking away their rights and their de- democracy has kind of woken up the Taiwanese to being like, you know what, there's no way we want to we want to be uh, one one country with these people. Um, that's that's very helpful. Thank you. And that's uh, and and so yeah. In other words, um, and and China doesn't mind playing the long game anyway. They'll 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 sit and play for for you know decades, and and they wouldn't want to. Maybe they wouldn't want. Maybe they wouldn't want to um, invade and have to flatten it. All right. Let me shift over. I was at a meeting uh, up uh, near Capitol Hill, uh, Doctor Decker, and a Republican chief of staff to a congressman said, "Oh yeah, you know we expect a financial, you know, economic uh, uh, catastrophe in the next uh, year or two. And I thought, yeah. Uh, sounds to me like um, sort of wishful thinking. I, I don't, and he said, I don't want it to happen. I just think it will, so I don't want to be too disrespectful. But here's my question for you. Um, 
it feels like the economy is is hopping along now. More places are opening up. And yes, we've lost a lot of businesses, but it's sort of like, here we go. And, you know, we, we, we've, we've seen a lot more growth. I mean, the economy is pretty good right now, isn't it? Well, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the economy, and so much of this is spin as well. So there's going to be some balance as things open up more, but we still right. haven't really felt the consequences of all the businesses that have collapsed uh, because of the because of the closing. Like once everything is supposedly opened up, we're going to really see, um, you know, we're going to see the body count at the end of that. So uh, a few weeks ago in Michigan, it was announced that. Um, over 3,000 restaurants. This is one state has closed. And granted, Governor Granholm was extra tough in Michigan, but you're talking about one state of 50, 3,000 restaurants closing. Another report said mm. uh, between 50 and 60% of Michigan hotels are on the verge of bankruptcy. Well, if you're talking about at least half of the hotels, 3,000 restaurants mm. in one state, what is that going to be nationally right now? People are still getting checks from the feds and things like that. But once that money dries up, it's really going to hit home. Wow, we've really done a lot of damage here. You know, and I, I think the other thing we have to worry about hitting home is, right, the Democrats just rammed through this tr- $2 trillion so-called stimulus. Now they're talking about another bill of $3 trillion. That, that If you're talking about $5 trillion in a matter of months, right, I mean, we have... We have a, mm-hmm. a, a, a national debt that's just reaching thirty trillion now. You had three more trillion to that in in the space of half a year. I mean, how eventually all this adding on of, of trillions of dollars of debt um, eventually eventually that hits home and the economy just comes to a standstill. You just just can't accumulate debt without the stock market and everything else um, um, freaking out. Hmm. Um, again, very helpful. Thank you. I, w- I only have a minute left, and I want to ask you this question about Bloomberg, uh, because I know you've observed Bloomberg's uh, politics as well as his business. But Bloomberg spent hundreds of millions of dollars in the last few years to try to get gun control as an issue. Now the media is playing along, and it's a hot issue. The Democrats don't seem willing to do anything anyway. I mean, is it is is Bloomberg going to lose his mind when he spends hundreds of millions and nothing happens? Well, you know, he's got billions of dollars and he's getting old, so I don't know yeah. if he's really mad at, <laughs> if he minds wasting it. Look how much he blew on a presidential campaign that, that didn't get 5% support, right? So um, I, I, don't, I don't think he's too worried about stuff anymore. Um, I think, hmm, I think I it see. is funny hearing Obama lecture how Biden needs to do something on gun control when Obama didn't do anything, right? I mean, Biden probably wishes that Barack would just shut up and go away, right? He's the president now. Obama's not. Right. Obama just won't be quiet and let him let the new president lead. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. That's kind of a funny one. All right, I got to run. I'm running out of time. Uh, Dr. Brett M. Decker, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Decker. We'll talk again next week. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When scientific truth is considered hatred, America's in trouble. President Joe Biden made waves by appointing Dr. Rachel Levine as his assistant secretary for health at the Health and Human Services Department. Dr. Levine is a transgender woman, meaning that he is a biological man who claims to be a woman. 
well-known Christian organization Focus on the Family tweeted out a story about Dr. Levine pointing out his biological sex from their affiliate account called The Daily Citizen. As a result, Twitter shut down The Daily Citizen's account on the grounds that it had trafficked in hate speech. The ironic part of this whole sad tale is that the article in the tweet did not even focus on Dr. Levine's gender dysphoria. Transgenderism was only mentioned in passing. The focus of the article was on Dr. Levine's horrible track record handling Pennsylvania's response to COVID-19, which he handled just prior to accepting the position with the Biden administration. Much like Governor Cuomo of New York, Dr. Levine ordered nursing homes to accept COVID-positive patients into their facilities. However, his mismanagement goes far beyond mere incompetence. Dr. Levine knew that any nursing home resident was at extreme risk of grave illness or death, so he moved his own 95-year-old mother out of her nursing home after instituting this deadly policy. Why should big tech overlords cover up such an important news story? Whether or not you believe someone with gender dysphoria should be in charge of the nation's health care, Surely no honest person thinks we should elevate someone who would put the entire state's most vulnerable at risk while securing special protection for his family. That kind of underhanded insider dealing is exactly why Americans do not trust politicians. With information as important as this, Big Tech has no business silencing those who spread the truth. This is exactly why the principles of free speech and a free press are so deeply ingrained into our society. We must defend the right of every American to share facts, regardless of how politically incorrect they may be. America relies on the free exchange of ideas to thrive and to grow. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When big tech billionaires silence conservative voices on social media, the very core of American liberty vanishes. It's happening and it's a slippery slope. At phyllisschlafly.com, we have a plan for protecting free speech. It starts with you. Please go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me do a little... Uh a uh, little uh, wrap-up of some uh, things that people sent me and cover some ground here. I want to encourage you, um, you know, of, of the resources, uh, besides visiting ProAmericaReport.com and sp- especially signing up for the daily email, which I encourage you to do, you can follow me on Twitter, at Eagle Ed Martin, over on Facebook, Ed Martin Live, and uh, all on, on the other, on most of the other platforms, Gab and Parler, it's actually Ed Martin directly, No, uh, nothing before it. All those places I follow them. These are all re- good resources. But the Epic Times, the Epic Times has become a real resource. You know, we talked about them on this program three years ago. The Epic Times is founded by uh, dissidents from communist China that came to America. Uh, one man is, a, I think, a graduate, was a graduate student at Georgia Tech University and, and started the Epic Times. Epic Times as a kind of uh, a kind of um, newsletter, I don't know, 25 years ago, a little bit less maybe. Anyway, it's now a very, very helpful um, um, uh, news outlet. Uh, they have a website. It's very strong. They do have a print version in some cities. Uh, they also have some affiliated video programming through NTD, um, which is the name of one of their um, uh, one of their uh, ne- networks, that, uh, especially on YouTube. But here's what I want to point to. They're unabashedly and unafraid of being um, conservative, especially on the sort of intellectual tradition. Now, remember, they're coming out of a communist Chinese dis- dissidents, the founders of the Epic Times. And the big concern they have is that the communists in China 
are in control and squashing everyone else. Some of the adherents of the, that, that Fulan Gong um, entity, which is, a, I sort of tell people, kind of a cross between a faith and, um, and a Buddhism and, and a kind of yoga. It's got a physical component and it's got a spiritual component, meditation. I'm not really an expert on it. But the people in China under the communist regime, that pra- pra- the practitioners of Fulan Gong, are, are persecuted. And the uh, Muslims, uh, the Uyghurs over in, in communist China, by all reports, they are actually in camps. Um, so the, the Epic Times, when you go to that site, you'll see some great writers and some great reporting. Uh, Joshua Phillip is really a great reporter. And uh, Jan, John uh, Jekelnik is a great, uh, he's one of the senior editors and does a bunch of interviews. But I also want to encourage you, they, they have a, a, a contributor's sort of... Um, opinion op-ed providers and not in a not in a totally consistent manner sometimes they come in and come out but there's one in there this week i'll put it up on social media a prof, a, a gentleman from named william gardner uh, G-A-R-D-N-E-R, Gardner, I might be pronounced, but he's a Canadian. But he wrote a commentary, and I just want you to, um, to if, if you have time to examine it, I want to mention it. It's called, the title of it is The Triumph of Will Over Human Nature. And it's a lengthy essay which explains how the modern moment and the modern sensibility has uh, stomped on our notion of human beings. And particularly, he's talking about abortion. And he's saying the contortions that have to be gone through to get to a place where you can justify killing. And it's fascinating because he looks backwards and talks about slavery, where another human being was diminished uh, completely uh, by the policy, by the preference of the society. And he talks about the unborn. He actually refers to the unborn as a as a modern slavery. And he goes on. But it's, it's very compelling. And in a in a in a in a world where um, most of the op ed pieces that you come across, even if they're from a more conservative site, you know, a New York Post or something will have some more conservatives. And even the Wall Street Journal is consistently more conservative. But they're always sort of politically uh, high, um, I don't know what to say, kind of the focus is political. And this guy's focus is more cultural. And, you know, we've talked about this. I've used this uh, phrase a couple times that uh, people will say often the cultural um, culture is upstream from politics. But upstream from culture, in my opinion, is is the uh, is the um, is faith, and I, this is a, I've been trying this out. And when you read this, William Gardner, um, if you think to yourself, okay, culture is upstream from politics. I see the political decisions, Roe v. Wade, others. I see the culture, which has been demeaning life. But what about what even upstream from that culture is faith? And if the faith communities have been diminished, either by lack of uh, practice or lack of formation or lack of leadership. All those possibilities. Now, that's not an either because I did about three different ones. You get the sense um, that that's what that's also a part of what's lacking. And you can't race downstream to politics and solve it without at least understanding what culture is and upstream from that what faith is. And this piece by William Gardner, I'm just pronouncing it Gardner, it's G-A-I-R-D-N-E-R, uh, in the Epic Times is really worth um, worth a look. He finishes uh, with something of a flourish, as you'd expect. Um, he says, um, with no constraining external truth to worry about, meaning um, truth is up to you, is what he says. That's what the modern moment is about. Truth is up to you. Then the good is absorbed into whatever you will. And he says, will becomes truth, no longer something to be searched for, found outside of ourselves, or expressed in any way. It's pretty, it's pretty accurate for this moment, and he does a nice job of pulling it around. So uh, check that out, William Gardner in the Epic Times. And do uh, everyone a favor and support theepictimes.com, the 
Epic Times, E-O-P-C, excuse me, the E, and then it's Epic, E-P-O-C-H, Times.com, TheEpicTimes.com. They do a good job there on the right side. And in this battle, in the current, you know, battle for our future in the world, world world communism is a threat to everybody. It's not just a threat to America, although it is a very big threat to us. It's a threat to everybody. World communism, which is what the communist Chinese regime is up to. They are not atheists. Someone said this recently. They, are, they have a religion, and the religion is communism. And the religion is materialism. And the religion is, is absolutely extreme. You must be an adherent, or you must be destroyed. You must be overrun. You must be uh, worn out. That's what we're facing. All right. Uh, let me say thank you to all our great um, contributors, the folks that have sent me emails and been in touch. appreciate it very much. Thank you to our great technical director, Noah, who keeps me on track. It's not as easy as you think. Sometimes these interviews are, in, are recorded at different times because we have such great guests. And uh, thank you also to uh, uh, Joanna in our St. Louis headquarters of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you go to phyllisschlafly.com, you can find out more about that, phyllisschlafly.com. And uh, she books a lot of our guests, so thank you to her, too. And thank you especially to you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.